Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to One Media, One Media, where we take two pieces of media, or maybe three this time, and we digest and spit it out and take it all in and spit it out again. Yes. Yes. Okay. Here we are. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I am Takeshi, and with me I have Santos. Because it's so close in the holidays today, we are going to talk about Tokyo Godfathers, which is another Satoshi Kon movie. He directed it. He actually wrote the screenplay along with Keiko Nabamoto, who helped out with Cowboy Bebop in Wolf's Reign. So her fingerprints are all over this too, if you haven't noticed. It was released November 8th of 2003. They were hoping that this was going to be kind of a big movie and he spent about 2.4 million dollars and it did Ben Fold's five kind of numbers it only made about 850,000 in the box office I'm rounding that, up What does that mean <laughs> Ben Fold's five numbers <laughs> What you know when they weren't that big anymore no one would show up to their I didn't like them concert. ever. <laughs> exactly. I hated it. They had, they had I like, hated that. I hated all my friends liked them. I was like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, at the end, when everybody kind of got over their one hit, no one really showed up to the concert. It's just a stupid in joke. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, like they lost a lot of money doing this. The production company was, of course, Madhouse. It's kind of unfortunate because to me, it really does hit all these notes that it should kind of translate through all over the world. Why didn't it do well? Did people not like it or just didn't market it properly? It probably was marketed properly, but it's an anime. I think it's ahead of its time. It's a little bit ahead of its time. And I'd hate to say it. I think the Japanese version translates a little bit better, but it's the English version, which is, this is the first time I've seen the English version. It's still pretty good. I guess you should watch it in English first, but unfortunately, when we watched it on Amazon Prime Video... You could only rent only the English version or only the Japanese version. So that's kind of a BS thing there. Yeah, you're right. They should let you, if you rent one, because you have to pay for it. You have to pay for I it. I tried to rent it at the local video store, but they didn't have they it. They didn't have so it? Did, no, I don't know why. I saw it in the theater when it first came out around <gasps> Christmas time, and it was oh, absolutely what? amazing. So That's awesome. And yeah, and then my friend gave me the the DVD and we'd watch it quite often during Christmas time because this is a holiday movie 
I plan to make it my new right new holiday movie. I think it's I absolutely fell in love with it. And oh, good. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that you liked it. Okay, so one of the cool things about Satoshi Kon and his world that he creates, it's very real. And so instead of having your protagonists and your main characters as these beautiful people and they're they're the top of their class or they have this special ability, these people are homeless. They are missing teeth. They're overweight. Some of them are middle-aged. And the three characters, they have a lot of flaws, and that's why they are together. It starts off on Christmas Day, and they're in a church, and the only person who happens to like the sermon that they're attending is Hannah, and she is a former drag queen, and she became homeless for some reasons that you would have to watch and find out. I don't really don't want to ruin a lot of the storyline. So she's the only one that loves it. And then Jin, the other guy, he's very sarcastic about everything. I mean, he's pretty much a gambling addict, and he has a story of why he went homeless, and it's kind of goofy. And also it follows this other person named Yuki. She ran away when she was 13. It's hard not to ruin things. (laughs) Well, she's like, well, if you just sum her up, she's a teenage runaway. She's been on the street for like six months or so, right? Yes. Not that long. She's a newcomer to their group. Is it Jin or Gin? Whatever. Like you said, he has like a gambling issue, but also he's an alcoholic at this point. Yeah, definitely. And he's like middle-aged. Yeah. So later that night, they happen to be digging through the trash, like which you never see in Tokyo or in Japan in general. When you look at Japan, you only see like the happy parts of Japan, the clean parts. They're in the dumpsters, like digging through trash, and they happen to hear this baby. And instead of taking it to the authorities, Hana instead decides that she needs to take it to the parents. And so they go on this crazy adventure, but and everything happens because of coincidence or happenstance because of this baby. And they named the baby Kyoko, which means pure child or the child of God. What else can I say about without ruining too much? (laughs) I like that. I think that's good. It's like Hana like finds this baby. The other two are like, well, she is just like over the moon that she found a baby on Christmas day. (laughs) I'm like, I've always wanted to be a mother. That's right. And it's kind of fun that Jen kind of just plays along and goes, okay. Yeah. And that, that opens up his backstory because he's good with babies. And so this baby brings... Kind of together this with them. Yeah, yeah. like it deepens their relationship. And then, yeah, like you said, it's a crazy adventure. A lot of happens, like just lucky chances. And I yeah. think Hannah says the baby is like... She, it's being watched out by God. God or something. Child of God. So it's like, so it's just meant to be like all these great... It's just really well done and it yeah. does takes all these twists and turns and interconnections. So we don't want to give that away because that was yeah. the whole fun of watching this movie for me. Yeah, you do thing. actually get to learn about the characters. That's why we don't want to ruin too much for you. It's kind of crazy for a Satoshi Kone movie because you could kind of tell this was a movie that he was really trying to not just overdo it like he usually does. Satoshi Kone, when he was still making movies and he was still alive, he was kind of like the David Lynch of anime, much like Paranoia Agent. That's kind of more along his line. When David Lynch did A Straight Story, 
this is like his version of a straight story. That is such a good movie. It's so incredible. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. No. Oh my God. I think for like you said, like this is like his mainstream kind of thing, but it's still very odd because like you said, it's like the heroes of the story. I mean, the hero of the story is like a homeless trans woman. (laughs) So it's like these very interesting characters and how it works out, it's different elements of Japan that you wouldn't think of. Totally. And because that everything is coincidence, everything seems kind of magical mm-hmm. in a sense. And at the end, it's kind of funny because they don't ever explain why everything is like that. They just kind of, why is almost every female's name Kyoko? Or right? why does this keep on happening And That's what's so cool about it. That is very Satoshi Kon, but I think Keiko, I think she does help out with it quite a bit. So, and kind of give it that more of that at-home kind of feeling that Cowboy Bebop had. Like, here are these weird ragtag kind of, of a group, but they're getting along for some strange reason. Yeah, it is really nice, those connections and relationships. And it's not over the top dramatic or romantic or emotional it's it's done in a that kind of cowboy bebop way where it's just cool and i noticed i think they were walking somewhere and there was like movie posters up and i think they were of his other movies was it perfect blue and paprika yeah i I did funny i didn't notice that oh my goodness yeah so (laughs) it's like what yeah so i think for most people, if they want to get into Satoshi Kon, this might be the first one you would want to kind of dive into because it doesn't challenge you as much as his other films do in any way, shape, or form. It just like kind of takes you through this adventure. And I think I mentioned a few episodes back where I think this is probably the best holiday movie ever because it's it's real. It's not all fake and glitzy. You should stop watching all those other stupid. It has a lot of Christmas miracle in it, which yes. is fun for there Christmas. But then it has like a gritty real life kind of vibe to it as well. I say move over Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Kick Hello, that thing Tokyo in the Godfathers. ass. <laughs> right. I've been done with that for so long. I'm yeah. so over it. I'm like, how is this not like the cool alternative? Christmas movie. Why not? I hope it picks up. I hope it takes over this year. Maybe we'll (laughs) help it out. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to talk about this one scene where Miyuki is talking to this mother who only knows Spanish and she only knows English or Japanese, but she's confiding in this girl that doesn't really understand her at all. And she's crying. And that was so special because that symbolism is that you don't really need to know the actual language or anything along that line as long as the relation is she was there to listen and just to comfort her as like a mother should or a parent should. And that was no, so that's touching. that's true. That yeah. was, that's a really beautiful, that warmth and yeah. kindness being offered. Right. Yeah, that was really nice. Right before that, her boyfriend did something really crazy and dragged her into her apartment. Yes, <laughs> so. yes. Is there anything else we need to say about this? Well, just what you said, like it goes from like kind of insane, like suspenseful moments to these really deep connections and uh, relationship moments. So yeah, it's really fun. And that's what a lot of Satoshi Kon's work does. It'll take you through all this crazy and then it'll kind of just come back to earth 
and bring you back to reality of what's really going on. I'm not sure if you got that out of Paranoia Agents. You didn't watch all of it. No, so. I didn't watch all of it. It's too much. I just want to say, though, Bart loved this. He loved it. He loved it. No watched the whole thing with me. No way. I know. And he doesn't I even like Christmas. I am in shock. <laughs> I know. He just thought the art was amazing. The story was amazing. What? Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Satoshi Kone, I mean, he's really well known, of course, for his movies, but he's helped out with, I was looking at his wiki and I watched a documentary about him not too long ago. He's helped out with Akira, with the manga and with the um, animation. He's also done like, oh my God, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, which is a pretty well-known anime and some other things in the background and so his art direction's just amazing. And I wish he was still alive to make things kind of crazy. And he's also inspired Black Swan and some other films, which is kind of funny because he was actually replaying Perfect Blue, this one bathtub scene. And he was doing it side by side of this other really well-known movie. And the frames were pretty much exactly the same. So he deserves a lot more credit. Ah, he sounds like he's inspired other artists. Yeah. So, which I can see. It's just great like how the storytelling is. and Yeah. So maybe we'll try another one, Santos. That's not an 11-part series of crazy. Yes. You see, I love that series, but I love his work. Well, even that series was interesting because it was hard to figure out who the hero was. Everyone was so strange and flawed in their own ways. And there was a homeless contingent as well. So he's very much about bringing in these other elements. That's what I love about him, too. In Japan, they do need to show this side of Japan because people need to be aware of it, especially people who live in Japan. They just... We'll ignore it. And I guess there is a pretty big homeless community going on because of the 80s, they used to have this big economic bubble. But since the 90s, there has been a higher population of homeless people. So he's kind of just taking that and putting the camera on them going, hey, there's people here who are homeless. We need to do something about it. Yeah, you don't think of, at least I don't, no, like when I think of Japan, I was saying, oh, they have their shit together. <laughs> their stuff probably runs on time and it's clean and people are polite. And Oh, yeah, they um, do, but still. <laughs> but, you know, like that's all you think about. You don't think like, oh, maybe they have these other, because, you know, I don't live there. So it's, I find all the stuff we've been watching, there's always characters who are androgynous or kind of like, trans or, you know, just like gender fluid. And yeah. like, they have so many examples of that. And it's not like an issue and it's not the point of the movie or the show. And I just thought like, yeah. culturally, are they more chill about that sort of thing? Or is it just in Not really. It's kind of looked down upon, I think anyway. But just the shows seem to be okay with it. It just seems like yeah. the characters are always okay. One of the things I've noticed, even with some of the documentaries that talk about it too, is that most of the time the trans community or the character that I have in there are kind of like more of the butt end of the joke. Where with this one, it's just like a real person in a mm-hmm. sense versus, oh That's yeah, true. this person's trans. This person's a cross-dresser. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know I'll have I mean? to look at the tone more. Yeah. Or this was just like, she lived it. Mm-hmm. Didn't take offense to people calling her bad words or saying that she's a man or whatever, but she did take offense to being called an old fart. 
I love that so much. Or an old hag or whatever. Yeah, hag or something. (laughs) Yeah, so check it out. It should be your number one choice during a holiday movie. Yes. And we'll be right back. Storygram Network. Hello, welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm your host, Takeshi, and with me I have Santos, and we take two pieces of media, and we take a deep dive on them. Kind of. We just talk about it. Kind of. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. We sip our cares away, and you can do the same, cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses. Hey, podcast fans, I'm Jeff Davis. Through the safety of your earbuds, Bluetooth speaker, or car stereo, join me as I venture out on the wine road. Aiden offers up practical and helpful tips to help you live a more joyful life. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed on a whim on a lonely Wednesday. Welcome to Swirl, the wine show for people who know nothing about wine. And I know nothing about wine, but I love it. And I feel like wine's for everybody. I also feel like wine is also intimidating. Storygram Network. That's right. We are back. And today we are going to talk about Alfred Cohart. Quartel. Yeah, Quartel. That's what it is. I looked it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's French. They don't pronounce like half. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Quartel. He was born September 26 of 1877, and he lived quite a long life. He passed away in 1962. He is a classical pianist. And... The interesting thing about that guy, I guess he was breaking a lot of different rules in piano playing where he wouldn't play exactly what was on the page. He would just open it up more and play what he thought his interpretation was. And a lot of people didn't like him over that. They would really argue with him and some people just thought he was just destroying the piece because he was playing it the way he wanted to. And he was actually teaching a lot, too. And he would get down on his students for playing exactly what was on there. That's very interesting for a a classical musician, because nowadays they practice at least 40 hours a week. And it's note for note. And you don't ever go outside the box. So I was going to pipe in that. That totally reminds me of I love this because. It reminds me of Piano of the Forest and <laughs> how they're always fighting over like if you are to follow every note or if you are to have artistic expression. And Quartel yeah. definitely had a lot of artistic expression yeah. woven into his work. Yeah, I listened to this IU documentary. It's on YouTube. And that's what most of the documentary was about. I guess he got into debt in his early 20s. So all he did was he played the small recitals and he just played a lot. 
like about 600 concerts or something crazy like that. So he didn't stop. I mean, because he was in so much debt. This was engineered or preserved by this guy named Mark Orbert Thorne. And I guess he began piano studies in 1956. And then he attended college and he learned how to preserve audio. And what he's known for is preserving what it sounded like originally. And because this was recorded from a 78 record. And so he had to actually go through the process of making sure there's no dust on it. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I like how it sounds. Did you, cause we're talking about the, the CD. I'm sorry. The court, Corto Chopin waltzes. Yes. Um, and I think it's like the second volume. It's Chopin volume two, the waltzes. So I'm wondering if he did the mazurkas or the preludes as well. Somewhere. I'm not too sure what else. He, I don't know what volume one is. Did. But this one, I think he did a Yeah, a but lot. the record label Nexus Historical, they go out of the way to preserve older recordings. These are the recordings from 1929 to 1949. Yes, exactly. And it's kind of cool to see some old videos of Alfred actually playing live. And he was in a movie and it was like a silent thing, but you could hear his playing through it. And oh, it's really interesting. So I got this CD yeah, on sale the CD? at Amoeba. <laughs> what caught your bug to go get this? I studied dance for a long time. I still do. And I was studying the dance of Isadora Duncan and she was like the godmother of modern dance, um, American modern dance. And she danced to a lot of Chopin. And so my teacher (laughs) is amazing, but wouldn't give me the recordings of what we danced to. She was kind of like, find your own. And so I had to find a lot of, like, i I buy a lot of classical music to try to figure out which recording she uses. Because a lot of times people who perform this music, they're not performing it for dancers. So it's really fast or there's something to it that's not danceable. And then, so I just buy it when I see it. And it was like $5. It had a very nice description about it, about how beautiful, like this spiritual depths of the music. And Isadora Duncan dance is all about imagination and connecting and telling stories. And so I was like, oh, you need someone that the music's like that. So that's how okay. I stumbled across this. <laughs> so this is available on Spotify, but it's missing like half the songs. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, which is really strange. There's 20 songs on There's this. There's 20 songs on it. It's an hour and eight minutes. And there are some repeats in there too. Yeah. And I thought you just recorded it twice. And I was like, ah, Santos, what are you doing to me? And then I realized it's just different renditions of it. I had to travel back in time to get this CD to (laughs) Takeshi. I had to find a disc drive. I had to remember how to rip a CD. It was a very interesting time travel moment. Right. If we did (laughs) One Media, One Media in 2006, that's exactly how you would have done it. Mm -hmm. We would have to burn CDs (laughs) or we'd have to go on iTunes. I was like, do I have to mail this? Like, how am I going to get these (laughs) to them? Luckily, I found a portable disk drive. I don't have a disk drive either. I don't have anything disk related. So very lucky I work somewhere where I had one available to use. And right. I either had to buy one or something. Yeah, and I sold my last disk drive to my old boss at the radio station. 
This is worrisome. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I like, do you like how it sounds? I like when you turn it up, you can hear it. Oh, yeah. And it, it's an older recording. It was weird listening to it because I heard like the humming. You could hear the 78 spinning first off at times. And then there's a weird hum in it too, which kind of brings you back. When I first listened to this, I was like, the hell did she send me? I mean, why would she send me this <laughs> I mean, for Christ's sake, but it's kind of interesting to listen to it like as a historical preservation piece. I think it's beautiful that it has that, but I also like how he plays. Yeah. The way he plays is very interesting. Yeah. And people, even the critics will say like, he makes mistakes. I can't hear always oh, the mistakes, yeah, he makes to be mistakes honest, in there. I can't always hear him, but, um, you, you, it's like forgivable because of how beautiful his playing yeah. is. Yeah, did you so, find any, yeah, any songs? I did. Like? did you name it? It's called Chopin Waltzes 1 through 14 Fantasy 78 RPM recordings. So 78 was the original record. And now they have it's 33 in, I guess, 44 or something like that. And sometimes the records were a lot bigger and they won't even fit on my techniques turntable. The sound quality is very interesting. It's, yeah, it does kind of take you back and you kind of see like this dark hall and you kind of just listen to it and go, wow, this is kind of trippy. I dig it, but it took a while. (laughs) It does take a while to get into this music. I have to say, I have a heads up because I was dancing to these pieces, some of these pieces, like learning about it in a different way than just listening to a CD of classical music. Like when you get to listen to it being taught to you by a teacher who studied this for a long time. I don't know, different appreciation. Right, exactly. So that harkens back to our very first One Medium, One Media, where they have all these Chopin competitions. And so it was kind of cool to go back, listen to it. And it's missing my favorite song. Because it's just the waltzes. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the waltzes. It's just the waltzes. Like there's all the mazurkas that you can listen to and preludes. And there's so much Chopin out there. Exactly. So it is missing a couple of my favorite songs from the anime, unfortunately. So my favorite is waltz number seven in C sharp, OP 64, number two. And you, just hearing that, you could tell he's playing it different than the way it's supposed to be. It's so beautiful. It's like exactly how I think it should be played. Because when we dance, I don't know <laughs> if this is what we dance to, because it sounds so familiar to me. But this is one of the uh, songs that has original choreography from Isidore Duncan from the 20s, from the 1920s. And the dance is... Okay, is so here. Narcissus. here. So, hold, hold on here. Hold on Yeah, here. do a comparison. I would love to know. All right. I think this is it.
to me, that sounds pretty different. And it's probably because this person, no offense to Alice Sarah Oat, she's probably played it more by the book. But isn't Corteau's version amazing? It, just, it is. It tells the story. Like, it's when you hear his version and you see how Isidore Duncan interpreted it into a dance about the Greek myth Narcissus. It's just gorgeous to watch. I don't know, my teacher. Dance. They were around the same time, weren't they? She died in the end of 20s. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. So they're around the same time. Mm-hmm. There is a video of him playing piano with this dancer. <gasps> I need to see it. It's really cool. That so might explain his style choice, too, in some ways. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. People are always saying that he's playing it wrong or he's adding next notes or doing, making mistakes. But he knew that. He didn't care. <laughs> He was like, I'm playing it the way I want to play it. And I yeah. guess he didn't even have piano players' hands. And people who were being taught under him or by him, they would notice that he would always play it different. So it would throw them off. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. And he taught yeah. a lot of students. He had a lot of students. So I want to share my favorite song is okay. number 10. It's Waltz number 10 in B minor. There we go. Of course, I'm gonna have to say the minute waltz. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have to because that's you yes. know the forest. Like, yeah, that was forest of piano. Yes, for sure. Forest for, of piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was for the sure. song. Here we go. Here we go. Oh my God. Listening to that, it almost gives me a headache because I, sometimes because I know how different it sounds. <laughs> I, I want to compare it to like okay, what it was in the anime too. Here we go. Because they I'll were really good yeah, musicians. Yeah, really, really good musicians. Which one did you like better? I like that one. Okay, here we go. And the Alfred version of it, it sounds a little rushed and like 
erratic. Think he's skipping some of it? Um, no, I don't think so. I think he's just playing it the way he wants to play it. And yeah. some people think he's just taking it all over it. But <laughs> I didn't realize he was so controversial. He but people definitely was. love him. Like he's so loved. And it's kind of interesting because back then it was just like, what are you doing? This is awful. I can't believe you're playing and teaching oh, people like it's this. During, yeah, yeah. Now, and now people love him. I do have to say, though, I have to talk about oh, that yeah, I yeah. Read the elephant article. in the closet. Yes, or the, the room. Yeah, like, it room. is in the closet because not enough people talk about it. No one's very open because he is very like cherished. I read an article. A com- it's called comment a commentary um, by Terry Teachout, and I can always post this on my Instagram too, the link. But anyways, they talk about how great Alfred Cortot is, but he has like the dark history of like when France got taken down by the Nazis. He was a Nazi collaborator, so he jumped on board with their music program and just kept working right through it. <laughs> I bet you if they made a movie about it, right? I bet you that they're to say, oh, he just wants to play music, so he, that's why he sided with them. Yes, everyone's very like <laughs> forgiving of him because I think they love his music so much and his contributions to music. So they are very forgiving of what happened. They, but they did punish him. up. To, he did a year, no concerts after the Nazis were kicked out. But that was like his biggest punishment. And some people would say that wasn't punishment enough. Some people are like, well, he helped people out. But there's a student he had who was Jewish that did not get helped out at all and I think was jailed. So, okay. So, but we don't know. There's not a lot of information in this article about all the details. I mean, I don't know if they have like journals and there's one biography for sure that they kind of called it up, like an apologist, you know, like they like really favored him over. So it'd be interesting to see to look more into that. But it also just brings up that point of like, there's a lot of artists who are awful people sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like the mamas and the papas. And or the so, guy, the yeah. drummer um, of cream, ginger, what oh, God. is it? Ginger Baker. Such an asshole, but what an amazing musician. So it's just interesting. And so the end of this article, I really liked, they bring that up. Like, what is that about? And they said, Clement Greenberg so wisely said, art solves nothing either for the artist himself or for those who receive his art. So it's just like this idea that um, they said, in the end, all we can do is love their art, but remember their deeds. It's hard to separate them out. I think some people you'll yeah. separate out enough to not want to listen to their music and or look at their art or whatever. He's been dead for so long. He's it's been hard dead not for a while, like, so you can't just yeah. cancel it. And they him. definitely swept this under the rug. They didn't put this on the CD cover for me to shoot this <laughs> I fell in love with all these songs and just found out more about the person, you know? But yeah. if you read the CD booklet, he's a hero. So I'm like, oh, cool. I'm good. It just was interesting to me because they're like, oh, then there's the person and people are very complicated and we don't know all the situations with it. But he definitely collaborated with an awful regime. For sure. Which is kind of funny because, okay, so I'm reading the Wikipedia right now. It's about two and a half, three paragraphs. And they kind of gloss over it in a way. And then one of the last sentences, he was like, well, he was married, although estranged, to a woman of Jewish origin. 
And they also said he was gay, but he was married to a woman for probably benefit of his own career. <laughs> like if she was like a connected family member. So it sounds like he was very driven towards his career. And so that was the most important thing to him. So I think he was like, what? I can run this music program. Who cares? And he like just moved forward. So yeah, you know, I don't yeah. want to say he was like a Nazi, like he believed in what they believed in, but he definitely took his opportunities. And Nazis loved art. I know they didn't love all artists, but they definitely put a lot of money into a lot of certain art. Like oh they yeah, did, they stole a dancers. lot of art too. They stole a lot of art. A they, ton they, of art, they, yeah. There were artists on their band list and then there's artists who they gave lots of money to. So it was like very complicated time. Yeah, I mean, I think they just gave him the choice. Either you join us and you could play your little piano or whatever and teach people piano or, you know. Sometimes I wonder if you worried that you might just end up. Yeah, they were scary. So, yeah, yeah they're very scary. So, of course. Yeah. I'm not trying to f- defend him in any way, but I don't think he no. was out there trying to be a, a soldier or anything. He just, no, he all he was concerned about was, you know, that's the thing. Okay, there is a pretty well-known DJ right now. And... I guess we could talk about this. It'll be fun. And right now he is kind of siding with Trump in a sense, even though he's this world-class hip hop DJ. And then also he's putting on the tinfoil hat. And instead of using his platform towards positivity, he's saying like all lives matters and he's, bringing up all these conspiracy theories. And I was like, boy, you need to stop this right now. And so he messed up once and he was interviewed and tried to explain his thing. And he doesn't really go out and do a lot of research. That's all he does is sit at home and scratch and make beats all day. Mostly just scratch all the time. And then he hears all these weird conspiracy theories and he'll just go along with that instead. Instead, like doing research and realizing yeah. you have a huge platform, like please yeah. don't just pass along whatever. Yeah, he smokes random. a ton of weed and then just oh, no. like <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of that going on, and you know, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like what's going on with this in a way where he, this guy had a You're choice like, to play music. music. I love music instead, and it's gonna choose to do this. And that happens all the time. And nowadays, because we're all so connected to the internet and things happen so quickly, people get canceled pretty quick. Like if there was some type of celebrity musician that was a Nazi sympathizer, they would be canceled today, right now, (laughs) (laughs) if it happened. No, it's true. And it's just, it's, yeah. I just think it's complicated. It's always interesting to realize like, oh, like I said, I just knew this music. I didn't even know his name really. I was like, this is great versions of these Chopin songs I danced to or like, right. and then you start digging into it. And so yeah, people are complicated and history is complicated. There's a lot of different variables and elements going For on. For sure. And the other thing is, is that... The way the internet is nowadays, if you do something bad when you're in your younger teens or your teens or when you're in your 20s or whatever, you can't really reckon that as much as back then. And there are a lot of people who were skinhead Nazis in America, and then they learn better about that. But if we push them all away and just tell them that they're an idiot Nazi and da 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 da, 
they'll stick with that. No, that's true. And I was just thinking like with Corteau, like they banned him for a year. He had a little bit of an issue coming back right at first, but then all of a sudden people just let him back in. And so I'm wondering maybe his actual philosophy wasn't aligned, but like we said, like maybe it was just his love for music and just his career. Like I'm just going to keep going. I don't care. And so it felt heartless in some ways. Yeah. But obviously there was some connections he had with other musicians where he was allowed back in to keep his career going. Right. So we need to have some compassion and let people sometimes learn through their mistakes, yes, not definitely. cancel them right away, because Correct. everybody has said some stupid before. Yes. <laughs> and also, like you said, the DJ example you're giving, not to be mean, There's this has happened to drag queens too, like famous drag queens where they get called out on stuff and they're always open to learn for the most part. So it's like everyone's open to learn, so it's like let them learn. But also they're entertainers. They are not people who study politics or history or necessarily that's not their main focus so it's like your main focus is entertainment music art whatever right and so then all of a sudden we're judging them to a criteria where i'm like they are in nightclubs every night of the week when do they have time to actually learn yeah and you know the thing is because of covid they're not able to go out and perform right now. So of course they're going to be kind of hanging out on their social medias a little bit more. And sometimes what they say is (laughs) stupid. So, But a lot of people didn't have necessarily like the same education as people who might be more aware and more sensitive and great. Like I love those people that are more sensitive and knowledgeable. So it's like, good, call people out. But maybe not cancel them, but also realize they're not our moral compass. They're entertainers. <laughs> like yes. We shouldn't be getting that good information from them. We should be getting it from other sources. Do some research. Mm-hmm, org is a really good thing if you want to look up politics or whatnot. Oh, yeah. So there's my recommendation for you <laughs> or anybody but out there. I, and I'm going to recommend... This I like. I'm gonna keep listening to my quarto. <laughs> You're gonna continue listening to it. I yes, do. it's I good. Love it. It's it's interesting to listen to it in a preservation kind of aspect for me. <laughs> all right, you could find me on all social networks at Glitch Unicorn, and you can find me at Sister Santos on Instagram. Um, have a conversation with me. It's fun. All right, talk to you all next week.